Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. I'm Linnea Archibald, the Associate Editorial Director for Actus, and I'll be your host for today's show, which is part of our Leadership with Linnea series. In every episode of this series, I'll be joined by one guest from the Actus Leadership Council ranks or a contributor from one of our Actus publications to discuss a topic relevant to leaders in the industry, whether or not they currently hold a traditional management title. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Kim Connor, BSN CCDS, CCDSO, CDI Education Specialist for Actus and HC Pro, a Simplify Compliance brand in Middleton, Massachusetts. She serves as a full-time instructor for HC Pro's CDI boot camps and Propel CDI advisory services. She is a subject matter expert for Actus and frequently writes for our publications and speaks at our events. Kim has 20 years of clinical experience as a surgical ICU burn trauma nurse at large academic medical centers. In 2013, she shifted her focus from the bedside to CDI. During her career, she has been responsible for initiating CDI programs both in both the inpatient and outpatient settings, developing ongoing education across the continuum of care, and most recently, she was the, direct, the CDI director where she led education and support programs to maximize CDI success. Today's topic is outpatient CDI in the clinic setting, and we're joined by Jennifer Bowles, BSCPC, CRC, CCDSO, who is the ambulatory CDI manager at Baptist Health Medical Group in Louisville, Kentucky. Jennifer has 12 years of coding and provider education experience. In 2018, she transitioned and developed the ambulatory CDI program at Baptist Health. Her team focuses on risk adjustment documentation and HCCs for more than 1,700 providers. She has presented at numerous Actus and other industry events and has written for both Actus and AHIMA publications. Jennifer has served on the Actus Leadership Council since 2019 and served on the Actus Outpatient Symposium Planning Committee in 2019. Before we jump into our topic, a brief word about today's sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Nuance Communications. Nuance Communications is a technology pioneer with market leadership in conversational AI and ambient intelligence. A full-service partner trusted by 77% of U.S. hospitals and 85% of the Fortune 100 companies worldwide, Nuance creates intuitive solutions that amplify people's ability to help others. And now, back to the show. So thanks again for joining us today, Jennifer. I am really excited to sit down with you to discuss outpatient CDI. To start our conversation, I would love to hear a little overview of your outpatient program, what settings your team reviews, what you focus on, is it HCC capture or something else, and then how you selected that focus area, how you're staffed, all of those fun details. Great. Thank you for having me. My team works predominantly on ambulatory and provider billing setting. The provider notes can be located either in the hospital or the office place of service, and we review the provider documentation focusing on making sure the appropriate components are included to support medical decision making and medical necessity through HCC capture. 
the system decided to focus on HECs due to our payer contracts and impact to our value-based programs due to our large ACO and Medicare Advantage membership. And my team is currently made up of all risk adjustment specialty certified coders. That's really interesting. So, you know, I got to say one of the challenges that, that we often hear about uh, in the outpatient setting opposed to the inpatient setting, Jennifer, is um, that, you know, in the clinic setting, appointments are, are pretty short. Uh, they're about 15 minutes long, 20 minutes if, if you're lucky, um, and the patient's gone. So it makes you know, concurrent reviews like we do on the inpatient side, a little bit more challenging. So, you know, how do you handle this on your outpatient side? And, you know, are you doing retrospective versus, you know, prospective? And, and what are the advantages to some of that stuff? And, and what are the hurdles that you've seen? It is very difficult. Providers have very limited time and we do focus on retrospective. Um, due to their limited time with the patient, we also rely on EHR tools. Uh, the tools do pre-visit HCC, you know, best practice alerts and huddle report discussions between the provider and the medical assistant to remind them of HCCs that need to be captured if they are pertinent to that patient's visit. Early on, we decided that it was important due to the limited resources and the provider's time to review provider records after the provider completed the documentation, after the coder resubmitted the charge, but before it goes out on a, a charge or a claim to the payer. Um, my team focuses on seven specialties. It's primary care, oncology, cardiology, uh, neurology, pulmonology, endocrinology, and we're about to start behavioral health. And we look at 20 charts per provider. Um, if a, a query is needed to be sent to the provider, we send or we ask for a clarification on something that's already been documented. At that stage of review, the CDI staff can see who needs the focus education, whether that's provider or coder. I wanted to make sure the providers were educated one-on-one -on, -one on their own documentation. Uh, that way, when you look at RAF scores, those are often um, a, multiple providers submitting on one patient, and you don't want to hold somebody responsible for somebody else's documentation if that provider is doing a great job. Uh, we've had many hurdles from building EHR tools, getting operations to implement utilization of best practice alerts and the huddle reporting to their daily processes, as well as getting buy-in from providers just to understand the necessity of HCCs in their documentation. So to, I have actually just a, another question on that um, in follow-up. You know, the, in the retrospective space, you know, once the patient's gone and, you know, I know what we deal with on the inpatient side, um, and how challenging a retrospective query can be for a provider. So, you know, how how did how well are you guys doing with that? You know, how are your providers uh, responding to that? They're pretty good. They respond within some respond within minutes or hours. Um, others, of course, are just like the inpatient site. It takes a lot longer for them to respond and overcome those issues of, of not responding. But my team reviews the documentation and decides, you know, is there a clinical indicator? Um, does the documentation support a query? And then if the documentation doesn't support a query, we just create education and tip sheets for that provider. Um, our retrospective queries follow a multiple choice template that mirrors the hospital CDI template. So there's not a shock to the provider of the view. Uh, we have a the exact same escalation process for our queries to 
that the, the coding department use for their in-basket messages. So our work queues are built to push out also claims to make sure that they are, you know, not being holding up any billing issues or having any um, delay. So we manually or electronically push those out. And that process keeps the aging days down to a minimum and also helps us keep up with what queries have not been answered and keep it on that escalation process. Uh, we're very mindful of end of the month and fiscal year problems of making sure all the claims are as many can get out um, and keeping those aging days down. Um, we also keep provider review numbers low. So if I have one work queue that we actually put providers in manually, so I will not put as many providers in at the end of the month or at the end of a fiscal year, just so that we can help during those times. That's awesome. I was actually going to ask about kind of that query process, and I, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that escalation process, uh, what that entails. If you, you mentioned that you're kind of doing the same thing with the coder in basket um, uh, inquiries and the queries, right? Yes. So we have a set amount of time that we allow. So when we send the query, we give the provider so many days to respond. If the provider disagrees, with that query we have an escalation to an education department and to see if they agree with our findings and then if they agree with us the cdi then we actually escalate that to the director and then we may bring in a medical director so it has a step-by-step -step process and it's down to so many days that it can sit in our work queue that way you don't have queries sitting for months in a work queue we normally get those out within more than like 14 days or so and we can get them out and get them worked uh, but we do give the provider an opportunity to disagree and then be able to work through channels where they feel like they've been heard as well as we are able to defend our position. That is um, a very structured um, process. How long did it take you to develop that? We, I would say it took a few months to, the coding department already sends in-basket messages uh, to providers. So we were already seeing delays where, you know, you may not have heard back from a provider for 14 to 21 days and we were having, you know, charges deferred and our aging days were getting out of hand. So it was very important that we put an escalation process in place where we could make sure that the providers and the practice managers were notified, that they knew that we needed an answer. If they didn't agree with us, they had an avenue to go to be able to get that resolution as quickly as possible so that we could get it built and out the door. It's a That's a pretty incredible process. I have to say that that's that's pretty amazing um, because you're also identifying the issues on the on the provider side as well. Um, and especially that they do need to be heard sometimes and um, and and to get the better buy in from from the overall. So you know, that is just an amazing process. So congratulations on that um, and the effectiveness of it. That's awesome. So um, <clears throat> when we talk about queries and um, inpatient versus outpatient settings and, and things along those lines, um, you know, in the inpatient setting, we have a tendency to focus a little bit more on uh, acute conditions, uh, CCs, MCCs, things along those lines. Uh, and on the outpatient side, it, it's it's capturing to the highest level of specificity those chronic disease processes as well. Um, so because there's kind of a difference, um, but I never I, I kind of see that inpatient and outpatient overlap. They're not really separate. Um, so, you know, how can um, the people on the inpatient side help support uh, that chronic condition capture 
an overall risk adjustment um, for the in the outpatient setting. Right. I really do see both sides helping each other, um, whether it's mortality measurements or HEDIS and PSIs, making sure that that specificity, it really does help both and making sure that they're documented. So inpatient and outpatient sides, um, focusing on the specificity of the diagnosis, making sure it's documented in the note, um, appearing in the assessment and plan, and then also getting it submitted on the claim to the payer. All three of those are very important and they're equally important. Um, you know, making we see the same conditions. I really do, except for maybe sepsis or something, you know, like shock or, or failures. Most of it we see in both settings. So for like diabetes without complications or heart arrhythmias, vascular disease, um, congestive heart failure, morbid severe obesity, malnutrition, depression, CKD, cancers, you know, pulmonary diseases, we see the same stuff. Um, but specifying those diagnosis codes are very important, especially diabetes without complications. You know, capturing that complication, being very clear in the documentation, you know, are they have on long-term insulin? Uh, capturing weight-related conditions, you know, I know morbid is is not a word that a lot of providers like to use, but, you know, morbid severe obesity, they can use that severe obesity and, and definitely malnutrition on the inpatient side is easier, I think, to be captured than on an outpatient setting uh, when it's applicable. Making sure when patients have resolved angina to make sure that they use the diagnosis without angina. Um, we see that a lot when trying to resolve uh, suspect conditions from payer reports. Uh, they'll say that this patient has angina constantly, but then you'll look and it was resolved with a cabbage or something. So making sure those are clear. Um, staging CKD, um, patients with tubes or, you know, openings. Those are HCCs that, you know, are captured better on the inpatient side than maybe on the outpatient. And then cleaning up diagnosis codes. And we all know the problem list is a problem. Um, but just being as specific and as clean as we can with it really helps both sides, I think. I wholeheartedly agree with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we got to we're moving into a point of CDI where we kind of are losing a bit of the distinction of, well, that's outpatient or that's inpatient. Like everything is the continuum of care, right? So I, I love that advice, Jennifer, um, and some of those HCCs. I think the folks on the inpatient setting might not even know that there are HCCs that they could be capturing. <laughs> um, it's just not something to talk about. I agree. I absolutely agree. It's, it's, it's tough because you're so focused on, you know, the acute conditions that you kind of lose track of, you know, you know, if we specified something a little bit more, this really does capture that chronic disease process for this patient to the highest degree of specificity. And and really, that's the ultimate goal for CDI and coding is, is to get it there. Yes. And it's just not just the CMS HCCs. It's also also the HHS HCCs for like even a hypertension is an HHS HCC. So there are, we try and put the HCC behind our diagnosis codes within our EHR, just so it's a notifier so that they understand, okay, that's an HCC, because there's no way you're going to remember 9,800 plus codes just for CMS, and then have an additional few thousand for the, you know, HHS. So it, any kind of tool you can help, whether it's, you know, an APRN or a provider, 
to be able to help them find that specificity or even favorites list. If they have a list that they see the same kind of patients over and over again, you can have a favorites within the HR and you can have them be able to find that specificity quicker. Yeah, I um, it, you sort of uh, set me up for a great segue because you started talking about kind of tools, Jennifer. Um, I know we often hear that tracking outpatient impact is a bit of a challenge, partly because there's kind of historically been a a lack of tools on the market, and then partly because the reimbursement models are prospective in nature, which can, you know, throw all sorts of wrenches and things. So how are you tracking your impact? What metrics are you using to show your impact? And how have you seen your efforts pay off in the data? The tracking is definitely challenging and the impact with the return on investment is a huge challenge, um, especially if you don't have technology. My team and myself live in spreadsheets. We are constantly building reports and trying to track performances. Um, I do believe the vendors are on the market and they are there assisting or can assist, but getting systems to invest in the products is difficult. Um, They're high cost. There's also difficulty showing the the return on investment of impact when you don't have the technology on the front end to help. Um, Many vendors want to build by claim. And if you know anything about outpatient, we submit so many claims, it's it literally is too expensive to purchase on the front end just by claim. So instead, maybe, you know, if they would sell by user, um, it would help with some of that cost and, and maybe get systems to invest in it. Um, there are a lot of unknowns also, like you said, with the contracts, each contract is developed differently. They have different payouts. They have different rules and stars and quality things that might be tied within the HCCs. Um, So it's hard to, and you may have multiple departments trying to get a piece of those um, where they want a piece of that pie to say, no, that was my revenue that my team earned, especially if you're not under the same umbrella. So to track the number of HCCs, um, we track our, our resolvable ones for one payer contract because we're paid by HCC of what we captured and what was resolved. Uh, we also leverage our ACO MSSP payouts and our annual wellness visit PATH submissions. Um, any money we, we can pull and, and show the HCCs that were applied to those that we try and use some of that ROI. It is also important to track the queries that you're sending. Did an HCC get added because of that submission? Um, track your year-over-year HCC capture by provider, um, as well as just as a system as a whole. Find your low performers and assist with education or a template build that will make HCC capture easier for the provider. I always say if the tool is easier for the provider, you're going to get more HCC capture. Every time you build a tool, my team pretty much knows I'm going to ask for a report to be built to track it. Um, I've seen our efforts pay off by increasing HCC capture and the number of suspect HCCs we've captured year over year that were not captured in previous years. Uh, We also have an analyst that calculates the average value of an HCC in our ACO, and then we apply that average to the number of HCCs we captured this year versus previous years. Um, That's very important too. So I wouldn't say there's one solution for everybody. It really is important to look at what contracts you have and where you can apply the return on investment with each of those. 
you clearly have a very well developed program um, and, and and have really kind of taken off with it. Just even listening to all the things and all the moving parts that you've kind of organized and you continue to build. Um, you know, I, I know when I, I started an outpatient program, I knew nothing. Um, so, you know, in recent surveys, um, you know, our 2022 uh, CDI week industry sur- survey actually indicated that nearly a quarter of the respondents are planning to expand on the in the outpatient setting in the very near future. So I'm about to ask you a very loaded question and there's no simple answer to it, um, I'm going to assume. Um, but what advice do you have for those people that are looking to expand into that outpatient setting? Um, you know, I know that there was a lot that I, I could have used, um, you know, a, a little bit of a leg up. So, you know, is there anything that you wish you knew when you started your program and then, you know, as you continue to develop, like what are the the pitfalls and, you know, and where would you direct people? The first thing I would say, and I always tell people is to look at what your current resources are. What do you have right now? Because in the beginning, you're not going to have finances or you may not have finances to automatically go higher and buy or, you know, expand that way. So you're going to look at your resources. It might be technology. It might be people. Is it, you know, do you have CDI or coders that are currently trained in whichever avenue you're going to go to? So in my team, we went HCCs. You may be looking at, you know, E&M levels or some other avenue. But what do you have currently employed that could work on it that you have access to? Um, You know, also look at providers who are interested. You may have physician assistants or advisors that are or just MDs in general who have heard of HCCs or really want to help and get their documentation better. They're the perfect volunteer. And then also look at your your payer contracts. You know, is there a contract that you're trying to reach a goal, but they're just missing it? Um, I know that was one of the things that happened to us in the in before we even got an outpatient CDI was our team was asked, could you review documentation? Because coders are really good at going in and searching documentation for key elements and then being able to get results quickly. And we were able to help with some of our contract goals of reaching, you know, those quicker than the team that was previously looking at it. So, you know, making sure that you've got maybe a provider or practice, if you have an initiative, so like my HCC, I found a, a actually a practice in each of our regions that wanted to volunteer. And then they were going to participate in our initiative. And then I was able to track not only their current performance, but what how their performance was after the education and the technology. So I had it comparable. And when you do that, because they're volunteering, they're already bought in and they're already going to help. So you're going to have an easy win. And once you have that easy win, you can show leadership, hey, it worked. And I can expand on that initiative. It really does help. So does it really help us again it, when you're expanding to say, okay, I need this many more FTEs and, and and things along those lines? Yes, because when you start the work, you really can look at, okay, if you're going to focus on membership and payers, you're going to know how many members. For example, if you have uh, 80,000 members in one payer contract, if you're only going to look at one of those charts for every single member, you're going to know that you're going to have to have, you know, a dozen or more coders or you know CDI to be able to look at those because you can break down how many days of the year they work 
how many hours they can do so many charts and then you can look at what's your volume of the payer so initially i didn't have the high volume of ftes to do all those chart reviews so what we decided was to focus on provider education we didn't focus on the payers because we decided if you taught the pay the provider how to document all payers would be documented pretty much the same so teach them about meet criteria, teach them about HCCs, and then hopefully all their notes will have the meet criteria and be able to help in every way. Great advice. That is great advice, Jennifer. I love talking to both of you. I feel like I could just sit here and um, and just listen to you guys talk about outpatient all day. That would be a fun day for me, I think. Um, but unfortunately, um, we have run out of time for our discussion today. So thank you both so much for joining me, for Jennifer, for lending us your time and your expertise, and Kim for being my expert co-host today. You both know far more than I do, and it has been a joy to have you on the podcast. As always, if our audience has any questions about the topic, you can feel free to email the Actus team at actus-inquiries at simplifycompliance.com. We will also put that address in today's show notes that are available on actus.org and also in your podcast app so that you can grab it from there. Now it's time for the Actus Update, a regular segment featuring the latest news on what's going on inside the association. Briefly, I want to remind everyone of a few things happening around Actus. First, the 2023 Actus National Conference speaker applications are now open until the end of the week, August 19th. Speaking at the conference is a great professional development opportunity. It's a chance to share your program success and to come to the Actus Conference with free admission since selected speakers get a complimentary registration. We encourage CDI professionals from all backgrounds and experience levels to apply. Next, the Actus CDI Leadership Council applications are open until August 31st for the 2022-2023 term. The council is a great opportunity for leaders to network, learn, and collaborate on topics relevant to their specific roles. It's completely free to join, and you do not need to be an Actus National member to apply. You simply must meet the eligibility requirements laid out on the Actus website and then participate in a series of surveys over the course of the term. Third, mark your calendars for CDI Week happening in just under a month from today, September 12th through 16th. During CDI Week, we'll be sharing the full data from the 2022 CDI Week Industry Survey, publishing expert Q&As on the topics covered in that survey, and hosting a free 90-minute webinar on Thursday, September 15th, and much more. You won't want to miss the celebration. Finally, sadly, I do also need to share a tragic update today as well. As you may have already seen, our beloved editorial director, Melissa Melissa Varnavis, passed away last week after a long battle with cancer. Melissa joined the Actus team in October 2008 to work with then-Actus director Brian Murphy as as the fledgling association grew. She had a background in journalism. She ultimately earned her master's in fine arts for poetry writing, and she brought just unparalleled joy and fun to our association. Many of our listeners knew Melissa well through being interviewed for articles, working on conferences, or receiving advice in managing local chapters. She had an amazing ability to bring people together, identify their needs, and empathize deeply with them. 
No one was as creative, joyful, and compassionate as Melissa was. Melissa loved her people deeply, both inside and outside of Actus, and she always made time for people. She laughed often, and she was authentically herself. I think everybody who knew her um, could see that evident. She loved her husband, Chris, her family, and she was a doting aunt. She loved her hometown community of Beverly, Massachusetts, and she loved her job and all of you at Actus. Personally, Melissa welcomed me onto the Actus team more than five years ago, and she made me feel at home. She inspired a spirit of curiosity in me, and she made me a better writer, a better colleague, and more importantly, a better person. I know I speak for the whole Actus team and our broader community when I say that I miss her immensely. If you would like to share memories anecdotes, photos, or condolences for her family, we've included a link in today's show notes, or you can email Actus Director of Programming Rebecca Hendren directly at rhendren, that's r-h-e-n-d-r-e-n, at actus.org. As Rebecca said, rest in purple, Melissa, we love you and we miss you. That brings us to the end of today's Actus podcast episode. We will be back in two weeks on Wednesday, August 31st, which for our next show focused on case mix index and CDI metrics. The August 31st show will be part of a brand new series, Talking CDI, in which Actus Director of Programming Rebecca Hendren sits down with one of our advisory board members or one of our expert bootcamp instructors or sometimes both to discuss a topic pertinent to today's CDI professional. You can listen to the show anytime on the Actus website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links we discussed during today's episode will be available in the show notes on actus.org and in your podcast app. And as always, we'd appreciate if you would take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice to help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by Dion Key, and our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazzar, both obtained from the Free Music Archive. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please email us at actus-inquiries at simplifycompliance.com. Now more than ever, take care, everyone. <laughs>